in Beirut for a new episode of the Beirut Banyan. And we're joined today by Farah Birru. Uh, Farah is a friend. Uh, she has a podcast, B for Bacchus, focusing on wine in Lebanon and the region. Uh, she's also part of the a Better Beirut podcast team, a great podcast focusing on positive stories and and genuine contribution to making Beirut and Lebanon a, a better and healthier environment for all its citizens. And during the uprising, Farah has been managing an Instagram page called Moments of Thawra. It's just a collection of photos, snapshots of day-to-day stuff, of every kind of action that you can imagine taking place on the streets of Beirut while the uprising is underway. All of this information is included in the details box below. And before we get to the interview, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider a contribution through Patreon. Any contribution is appreciated. Uh, the details box, there's a link. If you go to our website, BeirutBanyan.com, just click on the Patreon button. This is an independent podcast. Any donation is appreciated. When I first met Farah, when she wrote a blog post about the tour, and this is years and years back. The blog is called Bambi's Soapbox, and I highly recommend checking out the blog because there's an archive of reflections where you see Beirut changing in the background, and it's changing not necessarily in a better way. It's actually at times falling apart, and Farah just captures these moments by reflecting on her own emotions, on her own experiences in the city. Check it out. It's bambisoapbox.com. For this episode, Farah and I discuss all that is happening in the country. The protests, the prospect for political and economic reform, uh, what is really at stake, how the state can actually change, whether or not the demonstrations have that within them. True state reform, and in a sense, the birth of a new country. We share our optimism, our skepticism, a friendly exchange in the middle of all that's happening. For episode 22, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Um, I don't really feel so much like an observer um, because I've been going down to the streets every day and I've been, I've been plugged into what's happening when I'm not there. I'm online all the time, scanning Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and streaming MTV on my TV. So it, it doesn't really feel like you're only watching. It feels like you're constantly plugged in. Uh, and you just you don't know how to stop. It's it's hard to look away. You mentioned before we started recording that it's taxing. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, it takes so much mental capacity to kind of process what's happening, yeah. but also to process your own emotions to it. So you're asking me like, how do I feel? Yeah. I don't even know how to articulate it in a sentence because you get so overwhelmed with like this entire spectrum of emotions. Yeah. It's beautiful and it's amazing because you're seeing the entire country is finally uniting for something we've all been waiting for to unite against the common enemy if you want to put it like that Uh, but it's also there's so much fear that it's going to slip away Uh, there's so much anxiety that something's going to happen or people are going to get hurt or they're going to lose faith or they're going to lose steam because you know history has shown us and that's recent history that People don't really withstand this for very long, and eventually they want to go back to normalcy. They want to go back to sleeping right, to not having to be doing this like a full-time job. I haven't done anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. Like, we were originally supposed to be recording this for something else. It's actually, that's important to to mention here. You started your your own podcast about wine. Yeah. And why not just in Lebanon, but in the region? And that's what we were going to jump into. Yeah. Of course, I mean, it would be strange to talk about the history of wine right now. I can't even think about it. Like, yeah. a week alone, like, I can't even remember what exactly happened last week. It all feels so like another lifetime. Yeah. 
And hopefully that will actually be true and we will be entering a new lifetime (laughs) after this is over. But um, yeah, I I wouldn't know how to talk about all the other things that I do normally, uh, given what's happening on the ground, given our new reality of our daily lives. Although you are... I mean, I know you said you're not necessarily an observer, but you are writing about what's happening. And that's how I first got to know you. Yeah. You, you share your, not your immediate emotion, but you are sort of, you are analyzing to a point your, your emotions and you're yeah. writing them, you're reflecting. Before we get into that, though, I want to just mention, you, you, you said common enemy. And I think that might be the difference about this time around and previous attempts at changing the country. Absolutely. But I want to get what that means to you exactly, the common enemy? I think it's different this time around and it feels like a common enemy because it feels like the entire country, not just the central district of Beirut or Mm. the capital city. So common, you mean geographically, uh, demographically, all denominations, everyone is uniting and they're feeling like we are tired of being forgotten, of not being, you know, taken into account when they're deciding our fate. Um, and it's, they, let's get a little further. What, what do you exactly mean by, by they? Do you mean? I mean the ruling class. I mean the politicians. So I mean, this is everyone too. Yeah. There's no, ev- no kill one. Yeah. So this, which is being chanted now. <laughs> right. Down the street. You, you think that, that it really means all of the above. There's yeah. no one being excluded. No, because that. even now we actually have people coming out against those untouchable names. Yeah. Before there were names that no one would like dare utter or yeah. dare criticize. Yeah. Nasrallah, Berre, all of these, you know, high-ranking officials or whatever you would call them. Now people are outspoken. They're banding together and they're they're not afraid anymore. I don't know how long that's going to last. That's what everyone's afraid of. Because it's that that has given this movement some kind of legitimacy and, like, more power because we finally feel like everyone is being um, listed in that, you know, that blacklist. Uh, It's not just... Hariri, it's not just Aon, it's everybody. everybody. And everybody is against that everybody. Right. Now, maybe it's worth saying that although we both are Beiruti, mm. and we love this city. Sort of. Well, we, <laughs> that's exactly my point. Yeah, so we are Beiruti up to a point. We, we both live here. We only, we reflect a lot about this city. You work for a podcast called A Better Beirut. Yeah, but I also mean that I'm technically Beiruti, but I'm technically from the South. Exactly. So That's it's like... 100%. That's what I wanted to... It's a weird to... slash slash kind of identity. Sure. And that's that's exactly my point, that you're from originally from the South, I'm originally from the North. Mm-hmm. And both of those areas are united, or it looks like there's a united demand for change. Right. And the North, I mean, and I say this as somebody who tries to repel the extremist label of Tripoli. It is a conservative city. It is a religious city. It is rigid in its ways to a point. It is economically deprived. It was euphoric to watch Tripoli dance. No, and it was... Yeah. And that was an unexpected outburst of joy that Tripoli, I don't think, has experienced for decades. Yeah, and it was amazing to see them, you know, show solidarity with Sur, uh, Tyre. Yes. And with Nabatiye and all the yeah. other cities that they don't normally associate them together. Yes. And beyond that, it was almost funny to see other people react to Tripoli and uh-huh. Nabatiye and yeah. all of these different cities like, oh my God, look at these people, they have fun. It's like, yeah, of course they do. do you think it's, you, it's humanized yeah. everybody Absolutely. in the eyes of everyone else. Let's say a few years from now, do you think people will look back and watch those brave protesters in Nabatiye who stood up? and said things you were saying earlier, demanding the fall of their own leadership too, that and Tripoli, united, standing up saying we want change. Do you think these are going to be the symbols we look back on and say this is why it's special? For sure. Because I think think they should be given more credit than the people that are in Beirut and downtown. Uh, Downtown has been, you know, the home of protests for years, but it never really pushed the limit any, like, further. Yes. Um, it's a familiar city. It's no, it's, it's we did it in 2015. Sure. We did it in 2005. Yeah. We did it like years after years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, you can argue that it got rid of the Syrians, but there wasn't this massive change. The the system yeah. stayed in place. The the like rotten core was still there. Yes. And now, 
we have Tripoli and Nabatiyya and Hakkar and all of these different cities yeah. that are usually forgotten. They're not, they're considered as if they're in a different country. Yeah. People always talk about Lebanon as if it's only Beirut. Yeah. It's not. And now you feel like, yeah, everybody's on TV. You have the TV split into like eight different screens. <laughs> That's true. You know what? That is, that is a very good, you are an observer. <laughs> well, I should be after being... <laughs> <laughs> glued to the screens for eight days. That's a, that's a uh, astute observation. <laughs> it is the first time you see all these cities on the same station yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah, and everybody Chanting. getting airtime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not just Riyadh Salah. It's not just Smarter Square. Yeah. You have Jaladib and Zoo and Mazra'at uh, Yashur. And yes. there, I'm sure there are places that other people have never even heard of. They're like, where is that? Where's Kfarrimin? Like, yeah. So... It's been and great. Watching each other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they know, oh, our brothers and sisters in Nabati are getting beaten up. Let's go. We have to help right. them. What can we do? They try to mobilize. I don't know if it's being effective, but just the fact that they're acknowledging that others need help and they want to do something about it is yeah. huge. I want to ask you when you, I mean, we're describing a situation in 2019. So there's been a buildup of real economic pain. Yeah. Forget environmental pain, forget the trash, forget the political degradation, forget all the, even the cultural erosion of this country, forget all that. The pain of this financial burden all Lebanese face together. Do you think at the end of the day that is at the core what triggered this movement? Um, I mean, personally, no, but I think on a global, like, not global, on a, on a national scale, yes, because... Mm -hmm. It's the one thing that everybody uses. It's the one yeah. thing that everybody cares about. It's yeah. the one thing that everyone is kind of deprived of, too. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone isn't making as much as they wish they were, and that's not just like an ambitious thing. It's we're actually underpaid, yes. but that's because the entire economic system doesn't help even the business owners if they wanted to pay yeah. you more. Right. So much of the profits go into overhead and paying for taxes and extra things that they shouldn't have to pay for, yeah. that cut into their balance, and then in the end, they have nothing left to pay the people that work for them. But yeah. it's, it's not even at that, even at the bottom of the... What am I trying to say here? I mean, there's a, there's a sense that everyone's been plundered of their... Yeah, of, and it's not yeah. recent. It's, it's been happening for years. But you don't think, for you personally, it's not necessarily that alone, that there's more at stake? No, for me personally, it was everything altogether. It yeah. was because of the environment and because yeah. of the, the trash crisis and the way that it's affecting the health sector and the way that people are getting sick. Almost every friend I have has a, has a family member that has either passed away or is sick. From the, from the environment? I can't say that it's a direct um, result of yeah. it, but I'm sure that you know, it's not helping yeah. uh, the kind of environment that we're living in and the way that they just kind of try to come up with solutions that will just make them more money yeah. or will yeah. sweep it under the rug, literally. Right. Like, there, there aren't long-term goals and long-term ways to actually solve these problems. Yeah. And it's as if they're not thinking about the people as something that matters and that, you know, they're the people that elected you. You work for us. But is this protest then a culmination of all the other protests before? This is a political protest. It's an economic protest. It's a trash crisis protest, or is it really just a separate, unique moment where people are ready to overthrow the state altogether? I think it depends who you ask, because there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that it's the first time they join the streets. It's That's the first a, time they leave the house. It's That's the first true. time they're like, no, I should be down there. Yes. For, for some people, maybe like you and me who have been, protest, yeah. been to protest before, we do feel like we've been doing this. This, this isn't new. We've yeah. been on the street. I've been in that same spot in Martyr Square before. I've mm -hmm. taken pictures with my dad. I've done, I've done this. In the first few hours when we were watching it, did you feel that sort of, uh, it's not going to work? Strangely, it felt different from the beginning. I don't know what it was um, because like Thursday night, I was, I was doing a work thing, a, a wine gig. Um, at the it, you said it before we started that it feels like it doesn't feel like a week ago. It feels no, like it doesn't. It feels like months ago. I yeah. don't even know what day we're at right now. It's yeah. just I know it's day eight. 
and it's <laughs> that's, like that's interesting. Yeah, it's day eight. Yeah, there, I was in I was in the square it's, sometime, and someone was like, "Yeah, it's Tuesday." I'm like, "Isn't it Monday?" What? I don't what. Right. right. I just know that it's day eight today. Like that's my yeah. new calendar. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before this started, I got home and I was like, "Oh, stuff is happening in downtown." That was Thursday night, yes. and then Friday morning, people are starting to gather. So I went down at like 11 in the morning. So the next morning you were there. Yeah. And this and is before, of course, this is before the violence. Yeah, the violence that. was that night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thursday night was also a little um, night was, uh, was heated. Yeah. 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 It got rough, which I think is actually why also it, it seemed legitimate oh, too. So, the, so that initial spark. Spark, yeah. Yeah, because it felt like real anger. Mm. And it felt like these people are pissed off. Yeah. This isn't going to go away. And since there were people going down the next day and people weren't going to work and roads were closed, it was like, oh, something's happening. Yeah. It's, it's catching on. Yeah. I didn't know whether it was going to survive the weekend. I mean, we kind of have this pattern where we go to protest on Sundays and everybody's free. They don't have work and whatever. And everyone goes down. All right, we're there. There were lots of people there on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday was the biggest yes. show, showing of people. But... What tends to happen? The population of the country was protesting. Yeah. yeah, but what tends to happen is Monday comes along and people kind of just go back to work and okay, yeah. we let off some steam and okay, back to reality, but that didn't happen. Yeah. And then it was like, oh wait, and I, I think that Haridia was like the seventy-two hours thing was purely trying to you know, wait it out and wait yeah. till the weekend was over and get past Sunday, yeah. like also kind of working through that deadline. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, everyone was waiting for Monday thinking, is it still going to be there? Is it still going to be there? And that's how it's been. I mean, we were talking about this before, like you go to sleep and you're always afraid that it won't be there in the morning. Let me ask you though. They're going to shut it down. We're not political analysts. So no. We're not, we don't, we don't have... <laughs> We don't have access to any of these people right now anyway. So we don't really know what's in the mind of Saad Hadidi or Michel Aoun. But going back to that initial statement, and I think it was Friday when Hadidi yeah. said, I need 72 hours to, or give me 72 hours before I make another announcement. Mm -hmm. This is just subjective opinion. Do you think it was a mistake on his part to, to even stick around over the weekend. Do you, do you think it's a mistake that he is still the Prime Minister of Lebanon? I think he made the wrong move, but mm. I'm glad he did. Okay. So he made the wrong move, meaning that he should have resigned at that time? or I mean, that's what the people want, but I think it was good that he didn't do it right away mm, because mm, it mm. built more... Mm. Um, there were more people. Yeah. There was more anger. There was it kind of gave everyone another final um, confirmation that yeah. we don't matter. So the fact that he actually decided to, buy, to try to buy himself more time, that energized the street further. Yeah, because, I mean, oh, so in three days you're going to come up with solutions for everything <laughs> that you haven't done in the last 30 years. Yeah. Suddenly you're going to be a competent and capable government. Or even the fact that he was betting on the the rest of the crowd, the state, to do its job in, in 72 hours. No, and like yeah. you're going to come in 72 hours and give us this, you yeah. know, beautiful golden list of promises and we're going to be like, okay, cool, let's go home. Come on, like, yeah. you're already killing your own credibility by saying I need 72 hours and we'll get all our ducks in a line and everything will work. Yeah. Who's going to believe that after all of this time? Yeah. So, it, so the fact that he, whatever reasons he thought he could pull it off. Maybe he don't maybe he doesn't know what he's doing, maybe. But that that let people that energized the street to reach where it is now. Yeah. You think that you know, I haven't heard that yet. That's and interesting. So he may have reluctantly made it worse. Made it worse. For him. For, for him directly, but yeah. but better for the And the same the thing with Nasrallah and the same thing yeah. with uh, President Aoun right now. Well let's actually let's get into both. Yeah. So let's first talk about Aoun. Mm -hmm. We're watching what we don't know if it was recorded. It was recorded, I think. And it looked odd given that the angles, the camera angles and the repeated edits. And the coherency of the whole thing is just and it's, kind of all over the place. It's not just that he's 
84, it's that he seems truly incompetent at this point. He looks like an incompetent person. An incompetent president in the best of circumstances, and now a, a withered figure. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm trying to be careful here because there are protests in support of him as well. There are many people showing up. I think it's mainly because of the office he holds. Exactly. So, uh, this is where I wanted to get into. Is it enough that we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people in Beirut? Hundreds of thousands of people in the north? Tens of thousands in the south? We're seeing up to 2 million people on, this, on the streets in Lebanon. But we don't see a huge crowd showing up in front of Baabda. Or for that matter, Ainatini. We don't see the mm -hmm. Speaker of Parliament with people, seas of flags in front of him calling on him to resign. We don't see that in front of Baabda calling on Aoun to step down. We see, in a sense, the loyalty. The loyalists showing up, protecting. That, that always, to me, is a sign of the sectarian psyche is still around. Because he, he looked, what he said was equally unimpressive, right? Alan did not say anything that... No, and it was kind of insulting, too. Yeah, it was so pre-recorded, it wasn't live, exactly. it was eight days too late. You know, like Exactly, it's eight days too late, and, and there's nothing of substance in it anyway. No. So, but then you see people supporting him to tooth and nail. I think that's also very fear-related, though. Like, mm -hmm. maybe the reason people aren't going to the Babda Palace is because they feel like he's not even there. I think the reason that the protesters are going to where they are at, because they're blocking main roads. Right. They're not trying to you know, single out any particular politician. They're trying to make everybody give up on their regular life so the and join the street. So the protesters are yeah. assigned to own, in that sense. Like cutting off the highway going north, or the, uh, the protests on the going south, that's assigned to Birri. I don't think it's um, location associated with a particular Zaim. I think it's, these are the main arteries of the country. Yeah. And so if we want people to actually take this seriously and we want them to stop what they're doing and yeah. stop giving these excuses that I have to get to work or I have to go to, um, I don't know, whatever errand that is so pressing right now. Or visit relatives in the South. Or whatever, the North, it whatever it is, it is yeah. they don't have that excuse anymore. We've blocked the roads. You can't get to work. Get on the street. And what's really nice now is that they're not doing it with dumpsters and tires anymore. They're doing it with their own bodies. Yeah, the first night, the first two nights, it was, Beirut was, looked like a war zone. But it was necessary, I think. Mm. I think it had to start that way, at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for people to realize that this wasn't just, you know, people really sad about what's happened. They're right. pissed. Yeah. No, like, people are infuriated. Yes. And it's... It might not stay peaceful anymore. There's these symbolic moments that people are sharing repeatedly, right. and it, they look like they outweigh the violence quickly. Yeah. And the army soldier crying to the national. I'm hoping enemy. that's true. Yeah, I mean, bo both are sh both are shocking to a degree. The joy, the joyous celebrations, and the violence that's emerging. Mm -hmm. They're both, in, and I only hope that the joy outrides the the pain and the violence, because we know that this country does go through periods of euphoria followed by waves of violence. It's not, uh, it's not immune. Yeah, and the feelings that you get from all those things have kind of been condensed into this week. So Very, it's yeah, like yeah. you're feeling everything you feel in a span of like 10 years of Absolutely. living in the country, you, yeah. you're feeling it in one day yeah. and all right after each other. Like there was um, one of the mornings I went down to help out with the volunteers that were cleaning the... Yeah the Martyr Square in Riyadh mm -hmm. Salah. So there's a group that goes down and morning. they bag all of the trash and yeah. all of the recyclables and they sort the stuff and then it gets picked up by three different, um, three or four different organizations and they recycle everything. Yeah. This is just another like example of how we will recycle if you give us the means to do it. It's actually a sign of citizenry. That this yeah. is genuine citizen. There's duty. no payoff for this. Absolutely. They just want this to keep going yeah. and they... And their whole, like, motto is if we're going to take over the streets, we have to clean them first. And, yeah. you know, like, there's ownership there and people are taking back their city. But the point was, like, I went down there and you're walking through and you're seeing all these people doing this for no reason at all other than just, this is my country. And it's really overwhelming and it's really powerful to yeah. see that. Yeah. And then 
I got to go into the Grand Theater, which you never get to go into. It's blocked off, and in all fairness, that's probably a good thing, because it's not in good shape. It's really dangerous. And I think even the mosaic, when the, the glass windows the are not stable. Glass. No, it's, most yeah. of it isn't, and there's yeah. holes in the ground. The flooring isn't safe. Like yeah. I, I, I've been worried that some pro protesters are going to fall through the floor, especially at night. So they've blocked it, like they close it up every evening. Oh, so it's open now during the day and closed. No, it's it's closed completely now. Oh, okay, yeah, but um, I think they had reopened it again. Like nice. someone had <laughs> broken through the gate again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's purely because people don't have the access to these sure. beautiful pieces of our history. I, and I, you go in there and you're yeah. like, oh my god, this yeah. is incredible. Why yeah. can't we see this? And there's just there's it's like constant emotion. It's. Yeah. It's sadness, it's people, it's, it's humanity, it's citizenship, it's... We're breaking into our history. Yeah, yeah, and it's... That's nicely said. You're, you're seeing your own, you know, fellow, not just citizens, but people who live here. Yeah. Syrians, Palestinians, Lebanese, everybody who's here. You're like, oh, we're all in this together. And I went to the egg. Yeah. And the egg, I've been in there many times. I've been in there when it was broken into in the past. I've been in there when it was open, when it was being used. Okay. Until last night. I went back in and uh, I saw I saw it could have been maybe grandparents climbing up the emergency stairs <laughs> which were wobbling. I mean, one, one slip and you're dead. Yeah. Climbing up, risking in my opinion, risking their lives to reach the top of the egg and see Beirut from up there and that was crazy to me because it's one thing to walk up to see the old cinema inside it's another thing to be to that go on top. yeah and to i mean who knows how stable the structure is who knows the stairs how how sturdy they are they're sturdy enough i guess for there to be hundreds perhaps thousands of people now that have been up mm -hmm. the top of the egg and reclaiming something it's this is a real this is, recapturing and I don't know if they even maybe they've never been there before I think it's also like maybe we won't get this chance again yeah maybe we won't get to do this right yeah. now they're there's kind of like there's no one stopping us exactly there's a window yeah to see things that you don't usually get to see yeah yeah I for me that was that was incredible because I uh, it's not just the young kids being reckless it's everyone all ages wanting to share this experience together but I don't think young kids are being reckless either. They've been probably the forefront of this too. Like yeah. at the very, like, you have students who are not going to class and not just because they want to ditch. They're like, right. Right. no, what's the point of learning all of this if we're not going to have a job, if we're not going to have a country, if we're not going to, why yeah, go to school? courses in yeah, the square. In, in the, the egg. In the egg, yes. Which, I mean, <laughs> It's really, it's special. Mm -hmm. You know, for, maybe for a larger audience outside, they don't really, they would never appreciate really what that is. Just taking a class into an abandoned building, but it is special. Especially the egg. Yeah. I think yeah. it's it's the symbol of, you know, what downtown was, yeah. what it became, and it's also something that kind of, you drive by it every day and yeah. you forget it's there, but you also are like... Why isn't it something, like, yeah. why hasn't it been brought back to life? And it, now it has. And you said at the Grand Theater, the, I mean, it's a building that we all know it's around. We never go in because it's walled off. But actually, a lot of people didn't know it was there. Yeah, I heard, you know, yeah, people that don't really, it's, they can be forgiven, too, because it's never, it was no never one, reopened. No one publicized it. Yeah. Like, it, no one ever talked about its story. No yeah. one... Only recently did a photographer go in there and post some pictures on a blog, and people were like, "Oh, where is this?" That was actually just a few weeks ago. Yeah, and if yeah, you're not yeah. if you're not like an urban exploration, you know, junkie like some people are, or if you don't want to be chased by security, which are always yeah. chasing. I mean, uh, yeah. I just, <laughs> um, a friend of mine, we both tried to get in there like just a few months ago. Mm. We wanted to get in. Yeah. And it's all blocked off, so it's like maybe we can squeeze in here somewhere. Yeah. And then the bomb squad showed up oh. because there was like some mass happening at the church across the street. So oh, we right. luckily were not inside <laughs> when they went. In. But like it was just one of those things where you you can't just go in. You can't yeah. just and there's no information. There's no plaque. There's no thing that tells you what this is. You know, I had so many people responding to my stories on Instagram when I was 
in the theater, they're like, where is this? Yeah. What is this? You know, I think even Martyrs Square, people know that that's where you go to protest, but the history of Martyrs Square, I think, I mean, thankfully, there's enough shared about that location. Aside from Martyrs Square, I don't think a lot of people really really know the, the magic of that part of Unless Beirut. they take your tour. <laughs> I mean, last Sunday, two Sundays ago, I, I shared the story of Martyrs Square, and I had people on the tour emailing me saying they never expected that within 72 hours or whatever, a few days, that Beirut will be there protesting, demanding dignity in the same place that they were a few days earlier. Mm -hmm. And it was symbolic for them. For us, it's everything. Because that is still the magical spot of, of the city. We deviated a bit from a something... Bit. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a good deviation because <laughs> we're both passionate about this. The... You said the fear, it's, it's fear that keeps people away from Baabda, or what a, a combination of different types of fear. You don't want to, there's a sectarian component there, I think, still, even though, even though people are protesting Aoun from all over the country. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned Hassan Nasrallah. Yeah. We, Dahi is a suburb of Beirut. It's not a distant geography. It's no. just one and a half, two kilometers away from here us here. It's right down the street, actually. And Dahi does not have the same kind of images that we see throughout the country. It hasn't, it hasn't really joined in. How do you know? Well, I How assume, do you know people who live in Dahi aren't in downtown? Well, that's, it's it, not that far away. Absolutely. This is what I was going to ask you. So I, I asked this question. I got that answer from a previous episode that like, why do they Dahi, have to protest in Dahi? Exactly. That you come, if you're in Dahi, you come to downtown. Mm -hmm. But I think my question is not really, not about Dahi per se. It's about, it's about Hasbaqah. We see the images of the army rounding up protesters against the protesters. Some of them waving Hasbaqah flags. We saw that. I think it may have been uh, Saturday or something. Yeah. Uh, we see Nabati, people saying that Nasrallah is part of the equation, that they should all go, including him. Now, this is just a subjective opinion. Is something like Hezbollah, what they are in Lebanon, do you think their future is at stake as well? And I don't mean them as a party, mm -hmm. I don't mean their, I don't mean, it's, I'm not talking on a sectarian level, I'm talking mm -hmm. about that role that they have. They've been able to outride many different events. Yeah. They're stronger today than they were before. Are they out of the equation for now? I think people were a little disappointed with Hassan Nasrallah's speech. Mm -hmm. Hezbollah has always kind of operated separately from the state anyway. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been that shocking if they were like, mm, yeah, we don't really agree, but... I mean, that's kind of what everybody's saying anyways. All of these politicians, they're all pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. Like, I wanted to, but they didn't let me. Um, yeah, actually, that is the language. That yeah. I, it's me, I am the innocent, yeah, everyone yeah. else is guilty. Yeah, and, even the president said that to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but Nasrallah's like, I think they are at risk of losing some followers. Um, unfortunately, though, a lot of their followers are very, very loyal. Yes. But that's because it's they've been supporting these people for so many years. Yeah. The loyalty comes from not just guilt, but also like you, you, you feeling indebted to them. Yeah. Because Dahi, like Tripoli, like other uh, cities in the country, has also been kind of forgotten and neglected and just like... What is the word? Sidelined? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And people... Economically, politically... Yeah, and people act yeah. like it's a totally separate section. Like, it's not part of Greater Beirut when yeah. it is. So it eventually operated that way. They have their own security. They have their own... Uh, it is its own bubble. Yeah. Um, and they get a lot of economic support, um, educational support. Yeah, yeah. You can't deny that. So it's not... I mean, because there is a uprising against the system... To a point, they're shielded because of that history. That the, that it's that the chant "killon, killon, killon" is only applicable to a point for now. No, no, I think it's applicable to everybody. Yeah. But I think um, 
we also need to talk to people with compassion yeah. and understand that if they support Hezbollah or if they are grateful to their, you know, what they did for their family, yeah. that doesn't mean that they can't join the revolution. Right. You know, right. it's, you have to talk to people and it's not like all black and white. Yeah. yeah, you can be indebted to them and you can feel like you're grateful and everything, but you can still ask for your rights. You can right. still come down to the streets and be like, right. yeah, I support that party, but I'm leaving it at home. So, right so, now, I'm so, here for my people. Right. And so, but so far, we're not there yet. I'm not sure. Because I feel like the people that might live in Dahi and are there on the streets, and I've seen a lot of them. I yeah. used to live there. My family still lives there. My dad is there every day. He comes down and to the streets. he's one of the people that is going in and out regularly. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's... People are there. Um, but I don't think that those are the people that are the staunch supporters of Hezbollah either. Right. Like, the right. ones that are so, so um, loyal, it's going to take time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think there's a lot of guilt there. Like, I can't leave, I can't turn on the party that, you know, gave me everything. But they also need to understand it's not betraying a party if you're like, okay, thank you. But now I need to make sure my country can actually survive. I need to yeah. go stand with my fellow citizen. I need right. to go make sure that this country can actually move forward. Yeah. And you're not doing that for me anymore. Yeah. You know, just because um, a party does something for you doesn't mean they get, you know, um, free reign yeah. for the rest of their... What's the word? Um, it's not permanent protection. It's they don't get to do whatever they want for yeah. the rest of time. Yeah. I mean, you have to always call out your representatives when they're not representing you anymore, right. when they're not providing for you anymore, yeah. when they're siding with others that are also corrupt. So as someone who is quite sensitive to that subject, watching a prime minister mis, uh, misread the resentment, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then watching Nasrullah not bluntly saying it this way, but in effect saying, we want the prime minister to stay in his place. I think that showed that at this point, everyone in, in power is... Tone deaf? Not just tone deaf, <laughs> but that if one goes, potentially they all go. Yeah, they've kind of aligned themselves to the point where they have to all step down. Exactly. Because you're all right. of the same side. And we saw something, it could just be a symbolic gesture could literally just be them uh, helping each other at a time of crisis. We saw Najib Miati yesterday at the podium oh, on the defensive. That. Oh, you didn't? So, no. he, so, I mean, basically, Bank Audi and his assets. I saw the lawsuits. Yes, yeah. exactly. And he was, he was in a position of, he was defending himself. On, uh, but it's unusual to see him in a position where he has to defend himself financially. Mm-hmm and accusations of corruption and theft. And, you know, you can look at it two ways. You could say that, yes, uh, these politicians that are in power right now are trying to scapegoat a few people. And he may be one of a few that are coming. But even if that's the case, there is some, something powerful about seeing someone like him, who is a powerful politician in Lebanon, on the defensive. And being held accountable. Sure. Even if he's being even if held accountable by the people, wrong people. <laughs> yeah, and even if they're doing it to preserve their whatever's yeah. left. I think it's kind of stupid. They're shooting themselves in the foot. Absolutely. And it's a it's a win-win situation for the future of the state. Because this means now that you're going to see images like this over and over and people are going to get used to it. Mm -hmm. A politician who's beforehand was pretty much untouchable is now has to say something to effect where he's looks guilty. It just looks guilty. And that, it's, it's, I think anyone that's going to be accused right now is going to be assumed guilty, too. It's like, yeah. And I think that's the domino effect where people Yeah, they're going to just keep pointing fingers and, absolutely. and, and everyone's going to start falling. And none of these leaders get along. None of them. They do now, apparently. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a lifeline they've thrown to each other. Yeah, it's holding on to a sinking ship. 
Yeah, because they know if one starts to fall, if one resigns, then yeah. it, the people will just be more and more empowered. Yeah. Uh, which is already happening. Which is already happening. Um, Can I ask you, though? You, you, so I wanted to get into a... You shared an emotional... Uh, an emotional moment online. Mm-hmm. You have a blog. In every section, there's optimism. There's. I didn't get the sense of this is going to flicker and fade and die. I got the other side, which is we're now at a turning point in our history. I, I hope I got that right from no, you. No, no, yeah. it, it does feel that way, and I tried to convey it that way. Yeah, and there's optimism. Everyone I talked to the last few days has that feeling inside optimism, that this is different, this is special. What do you think are the circumstances necessary so that two weeks from now or a month from now we still have that optimism in us that we're not stepping back to our usual usual comfort zone of, yeah. of sectarian power sharing of the old story of Lebanon this communal confessional power sharing thing we're stuck with um, two things <laughs> well purely, purely okay we're just like yeah. throwing it off the top of my head yeah. I think for one thing we have to depend on each other um, like you said, everyone is optimistic, yeah. um, but I think that's because it's infectious. So I think um, when one, when you feel like one of your friends is starting to lose uh, ground and they're starting to like they're getting tired and they're like, I haven't slept in three days and right. and I've been on the streets for six hours. You well, kind of have to be like, it's silly okay. Silly things like the weather. I mean, the weather is yeah, changing, yeah. right? Fall is. And they were so out there in the rain, like. Yeah. yeah. But I think we sometimes have to be reminded that it's okay to take a break. And it's okay to, you know, if you need a day to not go down there, and I'm absolutely not telling people not to go to the streets, but if you need a day to, like, conserve some energy and sleep and not get sick. Like, I have a friend who's been going every day, and now he's sick in bed, and he's like, but I have to go down. Like, it feels like a duty. It feels like you have to do your shift every day, and you have to go down there just to make sure we make it to the weekend. Which is, I mean, in a way, that's why we see these images, because it's the same people going every single day. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we have to know that it's not going to end on Sunday. It's not going to, you know, this is a long process. So you think people should conserve a bit of their passion to keep it going. I think we should know how to pace ourselves. Mm. Like, how to yeah. um, make sure that we last. Because it's not, you know, right. re- as we've seen from neighboring countries, these revolutions don't happen in a couple days. Um, and yeah. even if, let's say, tomorrow they resigned, that's just the beginning. Yeah. Because then there's so much work to do. Like, right now, people are working and putting together lists and demands and organizing and trying to create, you know, um, intellectual circles. It's been leaderless up until now. Eighth day, there aren't aren't names that have emerged yet. I know a lot of people are frustrated by that, but I think it might be a good thing Mm. that we don't rush to, you know, crown someone yet. Yeah. Um, And it would be good to involve everyone in the process. Yeah. Because I think that was our mistake before, is we rushed and we got too excited and then you might only be listening to a few people who have access instead of talking to everybody. Yeah. We don't want to repeat the mistake of leaving Tripoli out of the conversation or right. leaving Nabati out of the conversation. We don't want to ostracize anybody. The whole point is that this is a movement of the people. Yeah. So I hope in the coming weeks, coming months, we still have that same momentum. Yeah, this is, they, I think yeah. this is the fear that everybody has, especially the diaspora. Although they have proven to be well in tune and passionate, and I mean, it's great to see these images in Paris. For sure. In New York, in front of everywhere. The, yeah, just I mean, all over the world, Lebanese are demanding change. The Lebanese that don't necessarily get along under different circumstances are demanding the same thing. I think they're also plugged in because everybody has family back here, yeah. and everybody has someone they left behind. So they have access to people who are maybe on the ground or at least know what's right. happening. They're right. not depending on you know the main sources of media or international uh, yeah. CNN, BBC, whatever. They're they, talking to real people. Which have not been great at covering what's not happening. Not really, but yeah. that's not entirely surprising either. Because it's a domestic thing, it does not infect... It, this is one of those rare occasions that Lebanon's story is not regional 
yet. It's actually our own for now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, considering that, like, the whole world is kind of dealing with its own shit, like, uh, the U.S. has their impeachment, the U.K. has their Brexit, uh, Chile is on fire, like, Barcelona, was Barcelona is fighting for their own yeah. independent yeah. battle. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's kind of got their own thing going on, so I'm not surprised that a tiny country in the Mediterranean is kind of being overlooked, and we're kind of used to that, too. Right, right. It's happened before. Um, but it's really nice to see the diaspora kind of um, take control of that and um, call them out, whether it's international media or it's just standing on a sidewalk together with the flags. Uh, because yeah. it shows they believe this is different too. Not one I've never seen that before. Party flag this time around. And Not I've never one. seen the diaspora like that. Yeah. I've never seen so many people mobilized like yeah. that. Yeah. I have friends in the States that are like, we're organizing protests the same day on Saturday, so everybody's on the street on the same time, yeah. at the same time. Like, That's when true. did that happen? I mean, I, there's, there were, there's reflection. I mean, March 14, there was some of that, some of that. It did not grow to, to this the point. scale, though, no, and no, with no, social no. media. You and just, You think movement clearly did not reach this No, point. no. Yeah. And it might have been only because, like, you think it was purely about the garbage crisis, so it was, like, focused on one problem and everything else was kind of lost in the, yeah. in the noise of everything. Uh, this is so many problems and just so much um, pent-up rage. It's conversation and we're smelling the trash from... Yeah, the yeah, this is what yeah, I thought trash. this morning. Yeah. I actually tweeted this this morning, is, like, the stuff doesn't bother me so much anymore now because I'm like, yeah, well, soda. You know, like, it's just my reaction to all this crap now. It's like, yeah, but we're doing something now. It feels like, right. okay, I can tolerate this now because now there might be change. Yeah. Uh, but another thing about yeah. that, the diaspora, before I forget, um, it's also shown how much we've, like, this, the extent of the brain drain. Yes. And yes. how much of our population is scattered across the world? And this is not civil war. This is post-war. No, it's very recent. It's the it's youth that are abroad. So much of absolutely. the people I grew up with, absolutely. none of them are here anymore. Absolutely. You know, I I thought about it a few times when I was walking down to downtown. Like, why am I here by myself? Like, yeah. where are my friends? They're all abroad. And all the people that I would normally be protesting with, or that I'm updating nonstop on all the different networks, are not here. Every friend of mine that I grew up with here, with the exception of very few, are abroad. And they're asking me what's going on. Yeah. And they're in tune. They're, they're well in tune. They're, and they care. But you're right. They're not here. And no, that, and so yeah. many have been like, I wish I was there. And I hardly ever hear you, that. They wish they were here right yeah. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, usually the, the rhetoric is more of like the style of, what are you still doing in Lebanon? Yeah. Why are you still there? You could leave. Don't mm -hmm. like. Why are you setting up your life there? Yeah. Um, why are you investing in the country? Like, just leave while you can. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, oh my God, yes, do this, please, yeah. please. So I just want to ask you personally because I think we're in the same boat right now. Um, my tours are not happening, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people that are in downtown protesting are biting the bullet a bit financially yeah and who knows how much longer the streets will be locked up or businesses stay shut down but let's say let's say it stays for a few more days do you think we will need to crash after this is over do you think the economy will need to crash for us to begin rebuilding it wasn't it kind of heading that way anyway it was definitely crashing, but how much mm, the, the financial burden that we're already going through, mm -hmm. is there a un, sort of uncomfortable sort of problem here, which is the economy is being hit harder because we are taking what may be, you know, two weeks off from the... Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I mean banks it in terms of... Banks are closed and... Banks are closed, cash is unavailable... Uh, and literally you can't move. So anyway, even if you mm -hmm. live in the north and want to come to Beirut, the highway's blocked, and you said it yourself, I mean, like, we, you have, you've been putting all of your other projects 
on the side yeah. to focus on this, which is right. We should be focusing. But how can we... I mean, I, I worry about the financial state of this country more today than I did two weeks ago. Yeah. I think a lot of people are worried about that, and they're worried that that would also be the reason that people will go back to work or they'll yeah. give up on this and be like, but I, I have to sustain my business or I have to right. I have to open, I have to answer these emails, I have to send out whatever because Generate I work income. with countries that are not going through a revolution. Absolutely. Absolutely. They don't, like, they need they the deliverables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they need what is asked of me. I, I have to report to duty, like, yeah. um, and, like, as far as they're concerned, you're sitting at home, so yeah. <laughs> you can do the work. But I think what a lot of people are starting to understand or see is that we're going to have to kind of deal with the sacrifice and we're going to have to put a lot on the line and possibly, yeah, crash for the greater good. That yeah. might sound way too idealistic and, like, you know, flowery, but... No, but I think it's a tr there's a reality If here. we didn't go through this, where were we headed? Yeah. Like, the, the lira was plummeting, everything was too expensive, taxes left and right. Like, yeah. uh, my main job is in imports. I work for my dad, and our, our company was hit incredibly hard considering yeah. all the added costs that we were um, forced to pay. Yeah. And that eventually will also trickle down to the customers. Like, sure. it, it affects everybody. Yeah. So where, where were we going? Businesses were closing. People who are unemployed, and that's just like people who are relatively lucky. There's still right, exactly. massive, a massive um, population that are under the poverty line. Yeah. They don't have enough to eat. There were people in Martyr Square uh, breaking into the parking meters just to get, you know, like 25 thou yeah. so that they could pay for food for their kids. I mean... Yeah. But that, I mean... This is, in a way, cautious optimism that we have to, to get to a better financial situation, this is the, a bit of the pain we have to go through. And yeah, we're going through it the right way because it's done this way. It's yeah, if we a, want yeah. to rework how we do things, yeah. we can't just sit there thinking it'll work itself out. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, what, you know, so many people were saying, okay, you want to go back home? You don't want to be at the protest? Okay, get on the metro. Go home. Metro. Exactly. <laughs> like that that was the argument. Like what are you going back to? Yeah. Like so much of what we should have and how we should conduct our lives doesn't actually exist. Let's end it on a positive note. Cuz uh and I just want to go back Have to we that. not been positive? Well, no, we well, <laughs> thing is pos pos yes, we have too I, revolutionary, I guess. Positive. Positive to a point because you need to be. There is perspective here. It's not just a sort of step in the right direction. It is many steps at once. Yeah. And they don't necessarily all line up together in the right direction right now. They may. I don't think we know really where we we're know. headed. Yeah. Uh, I think we just know we don't want to go back. I. Uh, I think the name of the podcast you you contribute to mm -hmm. a better Beirut. Yeah. <laughs> I think the name is fitting right now because because yeah. all the people you've spoken to are on the streets right now For in sure. Martyrs Square. For sure. We're here right now just doing this, but yeah. I've been going in and out every day. You have been there. So there is a dedication at the moment. So that's a good thing. That's um, that's kind of what we've been trying to show through the podcast is yeah. like there are people here on the ground yeah. fighting for a better Beirut, a better Lebanon, a better better place. And the worst of Where times. we live. Yeah. And absolutely everybody that's been on the show is there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically doing what they do every day anyway, but yeah. now actually hoping for a real result in the right. system, not just on a personal, private level. Right. And I think, I think, I get, this is, I'm speaking on behalf of many people here, that they all want an end to the sectarian system that we yeah. grew up with. On your your own view on this. Do you think a secular order will emerge from this? Secularism isn't going to erase our sectarian right. 
existence. Like it's, we're gonna have embedded. different sex here, sure. and that's part of what Beirut is. Or maybe it, that's not maybe bad. It's the reason Lebanon exists. Right? Yeah, I mean that's it's, the whole thing. There's nothing wrong with our diversity. That's yeah. what makes it so beautiful. Yeah. So I don't think it's erasing sectarian yeah. existence or, you know. Um, having this variety in the country. It's not saying you can't talk about Christianity or Islam or, or what you believe in. Or religious for that matter. Yeah, it's yeah. not about that. It's yeah. not about telling religious leaders you have no say in this. No. It's about, yeah, you can be secular and that doesn't erase religion. But do you think that is the common sentiment shared by people protesting now? That they're ready for the next stage? I ask because I don't know and I can't read this whether or not sec a secular state is really at stake here, that this is the, the goal is to upend power sharing along confessional lines. I, I can't say either because, I mean, for a while, before this all happened, uh, after the parliamentary elections, I thought, okay, you know what, people who want a secular technocratic uh, government mm -hmm. and country are the minority. People Techn don't yeah, think... I think technocrat more than sec secular. It's, that's the word usually, right? Independent technocrat. But even then, it's like, well, the Christians will get these many technocrats. Yeah. Muslims will get this. Many. I think that <laughs> there's a lot like connected to There'll why the minorities technocrats. They want to divide it according to percentages and yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, it's also to keep you know everyone represented. Um, right. And not have anyone in fear that they're going to be forgotten which has happened. That, that psychological yeah. fear is, I think, still there with or without... Probably. Yeah. But in all fairness, like I said, I thought that was the minority, and now look at it. It's the right. majority. Now the majority want the change in regime. Now the yeah. majority are down in the streets. So maybe, yeah, maybe things have changed. Yeah. Maybe all of this, like, this opportunistic rule of the, you know, the party leaders that they were all loyal to has actually kind of taken the mask or taken the blindfold off, and they're like, no, I don't want to do it your way anymore. If there's ever been a chance to rebuild Lebanon from before the Civil War, from maybe from day one, from the 1940s, <laughs> to build a country that will last conflict, chaos, differences among communities, if there's ever been a shot at that, I think it's now. And I really hope, at the end of the day, this time we get it right. I do think there's a lot of healing happening in downtown. Yeah. There's a lot of exposure. There's a lot of yeah. people meeting others that maybe they never spoke to before, talking yeah. to people from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Like, yeah. And it's opening people's eyes that not everyone's like you. Everyone's, yeah, we have exactly. different kinds of people here that you've never heard of. So let's hope for the best. Farah, thank you for your time. Check out A Better Beirut and B for Bacchus. B for Bacchus. And there's one episode already released before. Uh, there's two actually. Two. I just haven't talked about it because oh. I've been busy. <laughs> well, <laughs> this doesn't feel fair to talk about it right now. If anyone wants a temporary <laughs> break from all that's <laughs> happening and you want to go into wine, Check that podcast out. And go to bambissoapbox.com. Yes. There's years and years of thoughts there. My whole life story. Your life story. <laughs> I, I'm honored. I'm in, I'm in, two. I think, two separate articles over the years. Three. Three. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think so. Three. Yeah, three. Okay. Well, in that case, really go to the... <laughs> go three times. And uh, thanks again, Farah. Thank you for having me. I'll sit down with Farah again and talk about wine because that is really what we wanted to get into. Uh, she is well-versed in not just Lebanese wine, but the history of regional wine. It really is an episode to itself. So hopefully we'll get there as soon as possible. And I'm releasing new episodes as quickly as I can, trying to capture the moments as they emerge. An episode each day from a variety of voices 
all supporting this uprising, uh, voices in Lebanon and abroad, all on the same page when it comes to change, political change, economic change, and a brighter future for this country. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Simply go to Stitcher, Google, Spotify, Apple, you name it. Click subscribe on the Beirut Banyan, and you'll be updated as new episodes are released. And if you prefer YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. Just search for us. You'll find us there as well. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.